All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Mm-hmm. Suprema, su, su, Suprema roll call. 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 What's love, Supreme? Yeah. The podcast champ. Yeah. Here with Dawn Lewis. Yeah. I'm not asking about cramps. Oh, no. <laughs> Suprema, su, su, Suprema roll call. Suprema, 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 my name is Dawn. Yeah. You can call me Jalisa. Yeah. You can call me Zelma. Yeah. Just call me healthy right now. And I'm flying your background vocals into every roll call we exactly. do. Exactly. <laughs> you you outdid Charlie Wilson. Right. Q-Tip. Who else? <laughs> Try to go rogue on the <laughs> roll call ad-libs. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another soon-to-be classic episode of QLS. I'm your host, Quest Love. Uh, with me today is the legendary Sugar Steve. Wow. Yeah, sugar. Hey. I upgraded you to legendary sugar. Steve. Appreciate that. Yeah, I've, I've figured. I'm going to update my resume right now, my bio, and yeah. put legendary at the top. You're the legendary sugar Steve. Thank you. You know, there's songs for everything. Sugar, uh, 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 <laughs> already. Uh, honey, honey. Wait, yes. do we have to pay for the Archies? Yeah, or, I don't yeah. know. Okay, anyway, they're all gone. Oh, uh, we got the boss of all bosses, <laughs> boss Bill. That's me. Yeah. There's um, a song for that too. Do as I Will say. Will you marry me, Bill? <laughs> 
I'm only kidding, don't you know? Damn, I was thinking I about it too. <laughs> All right, so do we have a theme for uh, two negligent fathers who walk out on their kids? Oh my uh, god, going out for cigarettes for a Papa un- was a rolling <laughs> there you go. stone. Yeah, unpaid Bill and Fonte uh, out in the world <laughs> smoking cigarettes. They promised they'd be back, but you know, I don't know uh, if it's quiet again. Uh, <laughs> if it's rather quiet around here, uh, it's because uh, Laia. Has also taken up smoking cigarettes, and she went out and uh, said she'll be back momentarily. Mm-hmm. So we'll trust that she'll be back next episode. Ladies and gentlemen, today, as I said earlier, should be a rather amazing episode. Um, our guest is a renaissance woman. You know, some wow. we always hear the term like a, a renaissance man or whatever, but I rarely hear women described in the same sort of superlatives if if you will i will say she's uh multifaceted multi-talented pretty much as a singer songwriter as an actress be it whatever medium of stage television movies um with a gazillion impressive credits to boot i will personally say that she's probably part of the most life-changing ensemble for me personally I'm speaking of her work on A Different World as Jaleesa Vincent, uh, which I could say single-handedly inspired me not even to go to college, but to be more intelligent. Like, wow. that's how I can, you know, that's, and I'm saying in the most uh, a non-eloquent way possible, because Steve is looking at me like, who are you right now? Ladies and gentlemen... <laughs> Please welcome to Questlove Supreme, Dawn Lewis. Hey, everybody. Wow, I'm truly humbled. What a beautiful thing to say. Thank you so much. I wasn't looking at you funny. I'm I'm, I'm taking it in. Usually, no, you, you give me I'm this wonder, look no, like... I'm wondering how you know the last name of the character on the show. Like, usually you remember no, the first dude, name of a character. Everybody knows like, Jaleesa Vincent. Jaleesa, it, Jaleesa Vincent Taylor. Oh, see, there you go. There Damn, you go. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> how many names did you have? No, well, what, what you have to understand is I know it's it's weird that having binged it in probably a, a ten day period, the entire series. Wow. Um, I can't. Yeah, I have time on my hands. <laughs> um, when I'll no, you know, when I get my hair braided, okay. uh, yeah. traveling, whatnot in the jacuzzi. Yes, and then uh, oh, yes, wow, and that's the, conjures up a whole tub. other image of- <laughs> at the local Y, not in my house because <laughs> I can't afford one yet. I will say that yeah, the the show was definitely way ahead of its time uh, as far as like subject matter and things that are still relevant today mm-hmm. and whatnot. But most importantly, I think that when it first came on, I mean, I I don't think I had aspirations or even knew. I was college material or that sort of thing. So seeing that on television, um, for me, probably more life-changing than seeing the Cosby show. So, And I know that you guys don't get enough praise for that. So well, I appreciate that. Thank That's my fan worship for the hour. So, <laughs> so it, it, Thank you so much. I, I did watch Different World, but mm-hmm. I, uh, in reading up on it, it seems like that show was created almost specifically to to, re- to talk about issues that weren't being talked about on the Cosby show. 
Uh, more well, more so than just like a vehicle for Lisa Bonet or a spinoff. It was. It was not mm-hmm. so much um, comparatively to the Cosby show, but just what wasn't being talked about today and what particularly young people were dealing with and faced with, you know, when you go from the shelter of your parents' home out into the real world, all of a sudden so many things start smacking you in the face that nobody necessarily taught you how to deal with, yet it's there in, in your life and in, in your in your relationships, all of it. And uh, they wanted to keep it authentic to what we were dealing with at the time. And uh, like you, I went to college and had just graduated just a couple of years before. But it wasn't until I started doing A Different World that it clicked for me what an HBCU was. Mm-hmm. Because we had those commercials of mind is a terrible thing to waste with a person of color. And you think, well, that makes sense. Everybody should get an edge education. I didn't put two and two together that that was talking about a specific grouping of schools, of higher learning for people mm-hmm. of, of color, for Af- African-Americans. So even those of us who were in the show were learning lessons while we were doing, doing the, show. the show. And my name, I had never heard the name Jaleesa before. But I was actually named after the wife of one of Mr. Cosby's best friends, Jaleesa Hazard. And my last name, Vinson, was the last name of uh, one of our stage managers, Chuck Vinson. I always wondered about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Chuck, yeah. Chuck Vinson. He was naming people after every, everybody. Sinbad okay. was named after Walt Hazard, Coach Walter Oaks. Yeah. Oh, okay. We were all named after somebody. After people yeah. and stuff. And there was a, yeah. There's an episode where Ron mentions Thad Mumford by name. Thad Mumford, And he was like right. a producer on the show or something? Thad was one of our executive producers first season, and Thad was one of the... Um, first, the pioneers of writing for traditionally white shows. When he wrote on MASH, he wrote for several different shows and was executive producer. So oh, really? We, we, we miss him miss him dearly. Yeah. Dad was a trailblazer. Okay. So where were you Where were you born? Are you Brooklyn. New York? Oh, Bed-Stuy. What part? Bed-Stuy? Bed-Stuy. Okay. Born and raised Bed-Stuy. We moved six times, but always in Brooklyn. So went from Bed-Stuy to Park Slope, back to Bed-Stuy to Crown Heights, and ultimately Flatbush, about five blocks from Brooklyn College. Um, what was your Brooklyn experience? I always ask when, whenever Brooklynites come on the show and I ask, are they, you know, surprised at how it's transformed since then? Like, oh yeah, <laughs> when I was coming up in Brooklyn, the neighbors I had now are not the neighbors I had then. <laughs> right. Let's just you put still it live that there. way. No, right, right now while I'm here working, uh, I'm up up in Harlem, and Harlem ain't what it used to be either. Okay. I went to high school in Harlem. I went. That was when music and art was up on 135th Street in Convent. So that was where I went went to high school. From the last stop, the Junction in Brooklyn, right, all the way to 135th Street. In Harlem. How many hours was that? That's about an hour and 20 minutes for me to get to school every day. What time did you wake up? Uh, I don't even remember. I don't know if I was awake when I woke up. I just <laughs> knew I got on the train. No school busing? No. No. I got on the, the number. Okay, they switched the numbers because the three and the four used to go to Flatbush and the two and the five used to go to New Lots and Utica. So it took me like 14, 15 years to even be willing to ride the subway again once I moved to California. And I knew, I knew where I was going. Child, those trains took me in all kind of wrong directions. <laughs> I was like, what is happening right now? When did the two start going to Flatbush? When did that happen? But no, so yeah, about an hour, 20 minutes every day to get up to high school. 
So that was when music and art and performing arts were in two separate, separate buildings. Music and art was where you did vocal music, progressive instrumentals like the the jazz band, mm-hmm. um, photographic and portrait arts, you know, vi- visual arts. Right. And performing arts was down in Times Square. And that was where you had traditional dance training. Um, it was on, I think, around 46th Street or something, something like that. So is this the fabled LaGuardia School? It's or? LaGuardia School, okay. a fame fame. Okay. So about two years after my graduation class was when they put everybody in one building, and now that's the building that's in Lincoln Center. Okay. So Brooklyn was very different. Um, humble, honest, grounded, you know, challenging. I was bullied a lot when I was a kid, but I was also popular. I was, the, I was bullied because I was popular, if that makes sense. So you never had the I'm gonna get my brother to fuck you. Or oh like yeah, not, I did, and I have. Three are you of the them. youngest or I'm the only girl, okay. and I have three brothers, and uh, yeah, they they could torment me all they wanted, but no one could mess with their little little sister. So everybody. So you're the youngest knew. of. No, I'm third. Okay. I'm third. Two older and one younger who thinks he's older. Ooh, man, I'm sorry I called you Grandma McStuffins earlier. <laughs> you're not sorry. You're not sorry. You're not sorry. <laughs> so. Was it a creative household, a musical household? I'm or? the only one. Really? I'm the only one. One of my older brothers ultimately got in, into music, and then uh, he started a family, so he got a, a regular nine-to-five job. Right. He was a paralegal. Um, now he's in IT, and now he recently retired. So now he plays bass in a, in a trio whenever they feel like it on, on week weekends and clubs and stuff. But my oldest brother... Um, Grew to be a fireman, mm-hmm. so he was a firefighter. Uh, now he works as a fire marshal and head security for a building on Park Avenue. And my younger brother uh, went into law, so he has his own law firm. And then there's me, singing and and dancing and stuff. Okay, was it was it encouraged or was it just? It like was a encouraged side? because again, like I like I said, I had three brothers, and my family is from South America, so very different traditional fam- values of what is appropriate for a young girl to do and for a young boy to do. But at the same time, I wasn't allowed to do anything unless my brothers took me. Were you first generation born? I was in? first generation American citizen. Yes. And your parents are. Guyanese, Guyanese, okay. Guyanese, South South America, Guyana. Okay. Uh, so they came up, and my mom one day, I was seven, very tall, athletic, because I was playing handball. That's what you did in Brooklyn. You played handball, stickball, skellies in the in the skellies! street. Skellies, yes, <laughs> skellies, skellies, skellies in the in the street. Chinese. You know what skellies is? Skellies is a. It board. sounds like a sandwich or something. No, it's like street pool. It's street pool, but you play it with with bottle tops, and and you pluck it. And the, amount got, of, the amount of times I got in trouble around. for stealing milk caps yes. <laughs> off my grandmom's milk. You throw a ball at or something, try and flip it. Well, no. you, would, you would take the milk caps and, and then you go in the street. fill it with wax or a quarter to give it some more weight. Okay. Yes. I, yeah, I would go in the street. First, I would take her spoons, which is a no-no. Go out in the street, find a grease spot. And then dig uh, for tar of the street and put it inside the caps. Yes. And then we scrub the cap on sidewalks so it can go smooth. Freeze it at night and yes. you just dream. <laughs> you put it in a freezer and then you dream. So think of a milk cap with tar in it's it. It's like a hockey puck, a so, homemade yeah, this, hockey puck. This is why there's no black hockey players. They're all playing uh, skellies. 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 <laughs> so what you do is, is you draw this big board and there are numbers strategically placed around the board and you shoot your, your cap from number to number uh, like in sequential like, order. Okay. okay. Are well, you milk ch- Wait, this is a very we, cultural we difference played, here. My, my no, we ain't had no marbles. <laughs> no marbles in Brooklyn. They kill small children. They swallow them and die. Okay. Yeah, so no. Okay, you couldn't so, afford so marbles. I get it. Oh! <laughs> 
Shots fired. Oh, wow. Shots fired. Oh, yes, the, you're right. I couldn't, couldn't afford marble. Afford no, marble. No, right. So you shoot them around the board. And the thing was, when it rained, that's when parents got really pissed because we had parquet floors in our house. So we took that same chalk and would draw Skelly's boards Y'all on my play mom's. indoors? Indoors. And on my mom's parquet floors, we, we would draw Skelly boards. And you survived? Inside. Well, I'm here. <laughs> wow. So I ran. I'm faster than my mama. <laughs> she only caught me you half of the be. time. Can I, can I tell you, it is my dream. to when I, Oh, man. Just between 1978 and, like, 1981, like, I mean, me and my cousin would dream at night, like, yo, ways to get the Sean Riley family, like, to knock their... <laughs> they had the best caps ever. It, it like and you couldn't get the milk uh tops with the stickers on them because then that would not give you traction. Yes. <laughs> Yo, man, it, it was an art to play. I've never Skelly. seen you so passionate about it was sports fantastic. before. Dude. <laughs> it was fantastic. Between all right, well speaking of and South America, ball. there's there's a you know, there's a tag tournament in South America. Yes. Like for real, like think of those like what are what are those shows where like uh, Ultimate Warrior like that sort of thing? Oh, Ninja Warrior. Yeah, but they um, have it for tag. For tag, they're they're so, pretty. So serious. imagine like a playground where literally like a guy's chasing you and you gotta like jump over a monkey bar and you know there's like obstacles there like you might get your head knocked off. Wow. But so coming home from fifth grade, okay. I want that <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> Running home from fifth grade, I want that for Skelly. Like, ah, you did you just play stickball too? All right, so we played stickball. That's where you shave half the ball. No, stickball oh, is where you take your mama's broom, broomstick, yeah. and you use it as a bat. And right. you remember the pink Spalding balls, the hand right. balls. That was the ball that you would use, and you'd pop it or punch ball. Because if you couldn't afford a stick, <laughs> <laughs> you. Would- you would take the She's ball looking at Steve and right punch now. it. You would take the ball and punch it, and you would run run the bases. See, all right. So we, we were very those... creative children. Thank we, you. We would take those. We didn't need expensive things like marbles. I'll send you some marbles. <laughs> <laughs> so you would play with the, the 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 ping ball. See, we would take a razor, and then yeah, another get. See, little children in my neighborhood weren't allowed to play with razors. Um, well, we would have make it. We would cut it in half. Uh huh. In Philadelphia, you played stickball with half. I guess so. You wouldn't Why? break a window. Oh, we didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't care. Wow. So you would have to. You would throw half of a tennis ball or half of a one of those pink bouncy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh huh. And then uh, play stickball that way. Okay. Yeah. Damn, so we could just make it a street. <laughs> we ain't even getting the 1987. We're just going to talk about a street. You ever play king ball? No. What's king king ball? King ball is like, all right, if you have a sidewalk, it's it's sort of like uh, you need four people to play it, and each person gets a designated square of a sidewalk. Think of like tennis with a basketball. So the goal is not to hit the boundary of the sidewalk. It's a long explanation. It sounds like it. I feel like I need to be eight years old to understand what yes, you're talking about. Said, it's a Philly thing. Okay, wait. Okay. Two more favorite games as a kid. High water, low water. Did you play high water, low water? I remember that this. Explain. High water, low water. Familiar. You use a rope 
and yes, yes, and you, yes. you lay it on the ground and you take your turn <laughs> stepping over. Then yes. slow after everybody goes, you raise it a little higher, right, and, and then and then Yo. you start, and then it becomes like the high jump in the, on it's concrete, like the, not Yo. safe. And then the other. What's one, your version of this, Steve? Well, I was just that just sounds like the reverse of limbo. 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 Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I mean, because your Caribbean roots. And we had HR shy. games too, like Catch a Girl, Freak a Girl. Can, no, aye, anyone? Aye. Anyone? No, no, no. I, I no. Call that one. no. That's then called just, something else. Now. That's called something else now. That's called, HR. That's a child molestation. <laughs> now, all right, one more game. How about hot peas and butter? I've heard this I've heard referred to in every rap song, but never knew what hot peas hot and peas butter. Hot peas and butter is you would take a belt and you would hide it somewhere. Okay. And you were the person who was it in control of hiding it. Then everyone else had to go and try to find the belt. And so if people were anywhere near where you hit, you go hot, hot, hot. If they went away, cold, cold, cold. So you would yell after the belt was hit, hot peas and butter, come and get your supper. And the people would go looking for it. And whoever, yes, it did. Hot peas and butter, come and get your supper. And then people would go running looking for the belt. And whoever found the belt, you tried to keep it hidden. And you would run and hit everybody with the belt. Yeah, Yeah, I wasn't playing the the hot part. (laughs) (laughs) I was not playing that game in my neighborhood. And then you had to run and, and not get Get hit with the belt. <laughs> that don't sound fun. It was hilarious. That sounds like my childhood. It was <laughs> in the worst way possible. It was hilarious. Like me trying to hide a belt from somebody? <laughs> no. I do that. I do that three weeks before every report card. <laughs> <laughs> So what do you? All right. So what do we you? We don't play those games anymore. <laughs> no. You're so yes. multifaceted with your talent. What do you consider yourself as far, or at least at fourteen, fifteen, when you're developing your talent? Are you a singer? Are you a poet? Are you an actress? Are you a dancer? Like I, I was all of it. Quite frankly, I, w- I was. I was singing. I started singing at four. I was lead singer in a band at fourteen. Um, I had my about four or five poems published in a compilation book of young writers by the time I was 15. I was dancing on the stage of Carnegie Hall and Brooklyn Academy of Music by the time I was nine. So I was I was all of it. So I never considered that I had to choose what I believed in, what the environment I was raised in uh, was that you had to maximize everything. It was called being a trip, triple threat. You had to sing, dance, and act in order to be viable in the business. And uh, you asked me, was it encouraged? You know, going back to how we got mm-hmm. into childhood games <laughs> was my mother looked at me. I was seven years old, really tall, really fit, playing all these games with all these boys and everybody in the um, street. She realized, you know what, I have to get my child out of the middle of all of these boys and give her something that she can do on her own. And my mom had a really great friend, Mrs. Green, who had a daughter who was about five, six years older than I was, who was dancing. So she took me to a dance recital uh, at the Academy of Music. I was like, Ma, I want to do that. She said, are you sure? I said, yes. So she enrolled me in dance class. And I was riding the bus from my house, which was in on mid, where, where were we at that time? We were on Midwood Street in Crown Heights at that time. And I had to walk three blocks over to the bus on New York Avenue, get on the bus at a certain time so I could ride to the next stop where this young lady would get on the bus with me. And we would ride down to Pacific Street and Saratoga to Miss Elaine Christian's dance studio. And I did that once a week 
until I was 15 years old. Where's Elaine Christian's dance studio? Well, it was on Pacific, right near Saratoga. So at that young age, I was on the city bus going to and from dance classes. So that was kind of how that started for me was my mom wanted to encourage me to have my own thing that took me out of the middle of being around all those boys all of the time. Do you find, sorry, Amir, do you find that that, that whole way of thought is, is sort of gone, where the triple threat thing? Because it seems like so many of, of, our, of the people in the past who, have, mm-hmm. who, who were in entertainment um, were triple threats. Yes. And it's a, is, that, is that still a prevalent way of, of, of looking at things? You know, I don't know that it's a prevalent way of looking at things. Uh, what I have learned is that the way the business continues to evolve, the powers that be the, the them or the they are more comfortable putting you into a box. So I know a lot of people who you see starring on television uh, as actors are really incredible singers or dancers. And you, you, you learn when they get the opportunity that they have all these other gifts. But because of the way the industry is now, they kind of say, well, if we want a dramatic lead, we need to hire this person. If we want a comedic lead, we need to hire this person. So you don't necessarily get to know what other people do. But no, I don't think it's a requirement like it used to be. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. Oh, you Googling stuff. What I, in the world? No, only because <laughs> your story is very similar to Prodigy Mob Deep's. I was mm-hmm. trying to figure out if whether or not oh, that was same. his grandmother's dance studio. Oh, okay. But it wasn't. No, okay. no, no. It wasn't. Well, wait. I still don't know because now I almost feel like it is. Like Elaine the Christian? Story, the story's too... Who used to be a big dancer at the Cotton Club? She danced with Bill Rob Robinson, Bojangles. I bet you any yeah. amount of money is and, the same person. You know all of that. So that was her legacy, and she passed it on to us. And we were there all day on Saturday, doing jazz, tap, ballet, African dance. And on Saturday mornings, you could always count on at least two thirds of the students running into the kitchen where where the TV was to watch Soul Train. <laughs> uh oh, so, 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 so it's a mirror off. No. Uh oh, uh oh. So that's the the dance part. So how did you how did you start with the singing and the acting? The parts? singing I started at four. Uh, I just sang. What I used to love musical movies. I still do music. And there were mus- There were movies that would come on every year, like The Wizard of Oz, March of the Wooden Soldiers. There was, a, you know, Stormy Weather. There were different movies that would come on. You could count on it at certain times of the year. So I would sing along. I knew all the songs. I knew all the dances. I knew all of it there in my living room. And uh, my mom used to teach. She was a, a substitute teacher at an elementary school not far from from the house. So after kindergarten, I would go and sit at the school and wait for my mom to be done before I could go home. And they were doing their their spring concert pageant. And I asked if I could be in it. And all the teachers knew I could sing. I was young. I was cute. I was four going on five. And uh, they said, yes, you, you can be in the concert. And uh, I worked on the song Getting to Know You from, from The King and I with hand Getting gesture. Getting to know no, all about you. Exactly. You sang it better than I did. I was Yul Brenner in my you play. You were Yul Brenner in your I play. I didn't shave my <laughs> afro either. <laughs> 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 they, they put a scully on my head. Hilarious. Yeah. But then we got to the concert, and I was amazing, I have to admit. I was phenomenal in the rehearsals. And I got on stage and saw other people and stood on stage and froze. It's like, there are people here watching me. And I got the first few words out, and I still stood there and the teacher was below me trying to remind me to move my so I, I painfully got through it 
And then they said, okay, all right, great. And then they sat down, and then I started crying. It's like, I can do it better. Please let me just, look, just sit down, little girl. Just sit, sit down. And so I taught myself to never be that frightened again. That was the first and last time I'd ever scared myself so much that I couldn't do what I was really desiring to do. And there are photos. This is highly unusual. Because normally there's, I guess the good word is uh, light encouragement. The bad word is sort of like Joe Jackson-esque. Like there's always a drill sergeant. No. But Mm-mm. this is this is a highly unusual to hear Mm-mm. that confidence coming from someone under the age of 10. Yeah. That it isn't enforced from. No, nah, my mom you wasn't that first nine hours. No, that was not my mom. My mom was like, just stay out of trouble. Okay. I got to go to work. <laughs> stay out of trouble. I got to go to work. And uh, my brothers were like, yeah, she real cute, but we, we need need her now to play handball. Dawn, we need you to run the fourth leg in the relay. <laughs> so I was like, Dawn, okay, that's great. Uh, get off your toe, toe, toe shoes and come on over here and run this race because this boy don't believe you. You can beat him. And I got $5 on you. <laughs> <laughs> They're betting on you. I was pretty fast. Yeah, I ran track, too. I so was a sprinter. you graduated uh, high school. What? What age? What year? I was 16 when I graduated from high school. You got skipped? I got skipped twice. Wow. I was in the first grade for about six months and went right to second grade. And um, then I never went to eighth grade. I went from seventh grade to ninth grade. She's like the best of every artist we ever had. I don't know. She's Huey Lewis. Prodigy from Abdi. (laughs) What else are you? So, yeah. So I graduated high school at 16. Uh, Like I said, going to school up in Harlem. Mm -hmm. And... um, had already been singing in bands and clubs and such. And, uh, you know, young and cute. But I knew I wanted to do this as a career. And I also knew I wanted to get out of New York. My mom and I had a really contentious relationship at mm-hmm. the time. You know, she's from a different country with different values and understanding of how things are supposed to be done. And again, like I said, there were beliefs of what was appropriate for a girl and what was appropriate for a boy. And boys rule in those South American cultures. And so in her eyes, you should have been... Getting ready for a husband, get a okay. housewife. Well, you know, I never got that speech. I ne- never got. Are they that religious speech. or? Yeah, very. Okay, very. My family is Seventh Day Adventist. Um, Yikes! Yeah, wait what? a minute. Yes. This is not this is not adding up. Yeah, well, there you go. So there's more to the story. There's wait. more to this. I'm. I am. You're supposed to be in I'm church like every day. Thing. There you go. No, well, we had devotions at home every day. My mom had us read the Bible, read scripture. Um, yeah, sing hymns. Uh, when when we could because, okay, see, you get into a whole other part of the story. The reality is I'm sorry. my going to dance class every Saturday was a real issue okay. for the family. It caused real problems. Um, my mom, like I said, saw it as a way to help save and encourage and empower me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my family would tell my mom and tell me even when I was small. The extended they're gonna, family. They're gonna, the extended family. Okay, okay. Not, not my brothers, not, you know. The, the truth is, is that you are sending this child straight to hell by not having her in church, et cetera, et cetera, and sending her into the demon's pit. This entertainment stuff is where the devil lives, et cetera, et cetera. How do you tell that to a seven-year-old child? But they managed. Um, along the way, uh, like I said, my mom really reinforced in us that we have what we have by the grace of God mm-hmm. and that it is a blessing. It is not a curse. I wouldn't be able to do what I do if it wasn't a gift from God. So look at it that way and please shut out the other noise. And ultimately, as we grew, um, uh, the family 
stop saying certain things, but, you know, you couldn't ignore or forget really the rift that was caused and, and the pain that that was caused. But, you know, everybody grows. You learn, you love, you forgive, and you realize that there are good things that come out of whatever, as long as that's what your intent is. I, I was so, going to say, not even to harp on it, but I was just like, that's why I was so amazed. I was like, wait a minute. I've never heard of a situation in which, especially with a, a black household, in mm-hmm. which like religion or some sort of obstacle is sort of thrown in your path yeah. of you finding your talent. There were a few. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's that. Okay. So the guys in Take Six, who we ultimately became really great friends, we used to be able to share those kinds of stories because they're Adventists also. What? You didn't know that. Yes. The guys in Take Six were Adventists well, That explains why also. they're so disciplined with their, <laughs> their yeah. armies. <laughs> you know, so we were able to talk about that because our upbringing stories were very, very similar. similar. Okay. But, you know, but now that we are where we are, we use our platform to inspire, empower, to be a blessing, at least you hope so, mm-hmm. to others, you know, in a way that I may not have been received had I not taken this journey. You know what I mean? To be so young as a a graduate of high school, how hard Mm -hmm. was it to adjust to adult life? Do you know what? I got thrown into the deep end because I left New York and went to school down at the University of Miami in Miami at 16. And the university uh, almost did not accept me because I was so young. Yeah. Yeah. But I had a grandmother uh, who helped raise us. Actually, we lived with my grandmother for almost two years Mm -hmm. when we were younger. That's a whole other story, how we ended up there. Uh, But to go to college, my mom couldn't afford to send me. Uh, My dad would have been able to help but he chose not to. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, you're, you're too young. You're going to go get pregnant and do all of that. And I was like, but, you know, you haven't lived in our house since I was seven, man. So right. uh, whatever. So I got another aunt to co-sign for a student loan for me. And I packed my stuff and I left. And they turned around and go, wait, she really left. I said, yeah, I told you I was leaving. I'm going. So I went to college. Um, so between student loans, college works, work study was how I paid for, for school. And uh, so I got there, and now I'm responsible to pay back a loan. I'm responsible to pay for my tuition, my room and board, as well as, you know, get through my classes. And uh, as a performance major, I went as a voice made major. Okay. So in music and art, I was singing opera. So I was classically trained for many years. I played cello for almost seven years. You didn't have that on Google, Yeah, yeah, did I was about to say, what did, what did, did I miss? <laughs> <laughs> I played cello for about seven years and uh, sang opera. So when I went to U of M, uh, when they advised you for your major, that was back in the day when you had cards and they would write in, you have to take this class, this, and you get a signature from your department head to authorize you to go and register for these classes. Mm-hmm. They wrote a bunch of classes I had already taken in high school, like music theory and sight singing and all those kinds of things. So I refused to take them again. So when I left her, look, don't judge me. Well, when I left her just office, did the huh? easy A like? Why? No, okay, man. Look, so this is I money. The college is expensive, right? That's okay, why we went for the easy A. Thank you. No, <laughs> college is, but this is this is what I did. I, when I left her office, I said thank you very much, and it wasn't my fault. She wrote it in pencil. I just happened to have an eraser <laughs> oh, in my bag. No. <laughs> so. 
because I'm a good student. I came to school prepared. So I took my prepared eraser. To prepared. No. So I erased half of what she gave me, like music theory 101 and sight rants. I'm not taking that. I'm not taking that. And I wrote in dance classes. I wrote in acting classes. And I made my own curriculum. Ooh, wow. I brought my pencil. <laughs> wow. And I made my own curriculum. And I was like, that's more like it. Because wow. that was what I was already accustomed to doing, going to dance class regularly. Undetected? No one's pre- like, hey, well, wait a minute. Well, well it's not entirely. Okay. About two, two and a half months into school, I got called into the dean's office. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, clink, clink. I got called into the dean's office, and she said, okay, we were concerned about admitting you in the first place, and this is going to be your one and only warning. I said, what? I said, we are about to send, send you home. I said, well, Why? They said, because you're not going to classes. We can't have that young lady. Da, 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 da. I said, well, what? Of course I'm going to my classes. I'm going to my classes. I'm pulling a 4.0 GPA. I don't understand the problem. Well, you haven't been to this class, this class, this class, and this. I said, I'm not in that class. I'm in this class, this class, this class, and this class. I said, well, who told you to do that? I said, well, nobody told me to do it. It's my money. I'm going to take the class I want to take. My friend Peter Pencil. Uh, <laughs> Peter Pencil. Yeah. You know, I felt, I felt empowered at 16 years old. So she made me I like sit this. in the hallway. This is black entitlement. <laughs> I've never heard before in my life. She is so, Huey Lewis. Yeah. So, so she made me sit oh in the gosh, hallway for a minute and then called me back in the office and said, okay, young lady, you had no way of knowing this, but the School of Music and the School of Fine Arts had been in conversations for like a couple of years about starting a new degree program for people like you. So would you be interested in being the guinea pig for this new degree program? And I said, well, what would I have to do? She said, basically what you already doing. And I was like, oh. They had to respect it. And I said, well, okay, then, all right, so what happens now? Can I, can I go? She goes, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> you need to prepare. You have four days to prepare for an audition. I said, audition for what? She said, so we can officially start this, this degree program. So I had to do a 45-minute jury for the entire faculty of the School of Music and the School of Fine Arts. I had to choreograph a dance. I had to do a comedic and a dramatic monologue. I had to do arias in French and Italian. I had to do a Broadway show tune. I had to do a jazz tune. Um, there, there was one other thing. I can't remember what I had to do. Yeah, it took 45 minutes. How many days? One day. All of the, I had four days to, to prepare. Wow. Were they stacking just to be like, well, teach you, know, you to mess up with I, my I don't pension? Know. I don't know. But what ended up resulting out of that was after the jury, they were now officially able to start this degree program. So I'm the founder and first graduate of the musical theater degree program at the University uh, of I Miami. I hope they named it after you. No, no. And <laughs> even after, after you? even And after a few years, they conveniently forget to mention that I had anything to do wow. with it. It, Man, you know, let you me know, tell you something. Every now and then Miami. it comes up or, you know, whatever. Right. But, uh, yeah, so that year, that's been going 30-plus years strong through the School of Music. They've graduated Tony winners, Grammy winners, Oscar winners. Um, and in the last four or five years, they've transferred it from the School of Music to the School of Fine Arts. Fine Arts is now has the degree pro program. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fonsigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. 
The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I was going to ask, in Brooklyn, growing up, Yes. Um, were there any other notable Brooklynites that we would know now that you in, uh, went to school with or like Our next door neighbor, uh, Dwayne, uh, well, we, we call him Dwayne because his first name was Ralph. Uh, ended up being young Michael on Good Times. Ralph Carter. Ralph, Ralph Carter. Carter. Wow. Wow. Ralph Carter. That's yeah. amazing. Yep. I saw him uh, three months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Three months ago. Uh, he was our next next door neighbor. Really? Other than that, nah. Not not in my neighborhood. Not not while I was there. So not the neighborhood kids weren't even like like minded and. We were playing stickball and skellies. Thank you. <laughs> they didn't care. Oh, but you know what? I recently found out um, a year or two ago, I was doing This Is Us, like one of my favorite shows on uh-huh. television. And when I got there, I was so excited to be, I was happy to be there. And the cast was like, oh my God, look who's on our show. Can you take pictures with us? And I'm thinking like, because I was going to have to take pictures with you guys. <laughs> so we're taking pictures and Susan Kalecki Watson who plays the sister, the wife, yes. uh, on, on the show, Randall's I wife. On the show. Isn't she fantastic? She she hangs around because she was actually finished before I was called in to work. So she hung around to meet me. So we're taking selfies and we're exchanging numbers you know, so we can send each other the pictures that mm-hmm. we take. And we're sitting in my trailer, like, talking for a half an hour. So she finally leaves. I get called to, to the set. And I call a couple of friends of mine. They say, and I told them what, what the day was like. And they said, Susan's my great friend. And da, 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 and Dulé Hill was like, that's my great friend, et cetera, et cetera. 
And so I called her back. I said, I didn't know you knew Dulé. And she says, yes, he's a great friend. I said, okay, great. She calls me back two minutes later. She says, okay, look, I'm not trying to be weird or anything, but I sent the picture that we took to my family, and my brother texted me back and said, you know that's our cousin, right? What? I said, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> he, she said, yes. She said, do you have an aunt so-and-so? I said, I don't know. I've never heard that name before. She said, well, your aunt so-and-so married my uncle so-and-so, and they live in Trinidad and this and that. I said, what? What? That in the world. So I called my mom. Ma, do we have an aunt so Yes, that's my first cousin. She married a man from Trinidad. She'll never come back again. And this and that and this and that and this and that. So I called her back and said, oh, my gosh. We're like second cousins. First, and it's hilarious. And we keep talking. Come to find out that she's from Brooklyn, grew up within a mile of where I grew up in Brooklyn and still has family in really? a place there now. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. And also, you just answered another question for me always what's that you know you, you had a very convincing island accent that you oh. tried on a different world once and now <laughs> i <laughs> sheila <laughs> i was like yo she's really good Thank i didn't realize you. that that's, okay that's where you, my family i from. see now and i didn't know that at the time yes yeah, so I, I as i mentioned i was first generation america my mom was the oldest of eight right so one at a time she sponsored her siblings and her parents to come up to the state so now when all of our cousins when all the cousins get get together all of a sudden all of us have accents your accents <laughs> oh man all of a sudden all of us have accents and we're talking like our parents and and such it's really very very funny i see so by at least by 20 did you have like focus okay i want to be a singer oh, yeah or i you, was already doing it but i mean you, it's like you did everything at once i was i'm trying to figure out what has the edge what has the 51 to 49 percent edge oh probably music singing more than yeah, anything. singing and writing more than anything uh because that's what i was booking jobs as as so a, what was your first well you usually on the show i ask about your first well, first of all, who do you? Who's your hero? Your idol? Your, your when? As far as your craft is concerned, who do you look up to? Wow, um, I actually had a few. Okay, I actually had a a few. Judy Garland was one early on. Okay, it was amazing to me the power and passion in her voice. And when mm-hmm. I would watch her movies again, remember I used to watch a lot of old movies like Take Me to Saint Louis and The Wizard of Oz and all that kind of stuff. Right, and we weren't in a lot of those movies. We often had little small segments. Mm-hmm. So Lena Horne was a big influence to me. The Nicholas Brothers right. were a huge influence to me. As I got older, it was people like Gladys Knight and Stevie Wonder, Elton John. Do you remember um, the first record you ever purchased? No, I don't. I remember the first ones, one of the first ones that my brothers purchased that I used so to like to play down all from the time. Their yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. They bought them. I just played them. Um, it was uh, the Rolling Stones. And I remember it was because time is on my side. Yes, it is. I had no idea what they were saying, but it was just a funky line to me. That so your one, brothers were into the Stones? They were into the Stones and Smokey Robinson. I remember those two being the first records that I would play a lot. And Smokey's record that they had was, If there's a smile on my face, it's only that trying to fool the public. But when it comes down to tear, tear, tears of a clown. Tears of a clown. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, those those songs and songs like um, Grazing in the Grass is a Glass, Baby, Can You Dig It? All those kinds of things. You never okay. knew what the real is. I could dig it, dig it, dig it, she could dig it, dig it, dig it, dig it, dig it, dig it, dig it. Do you, you remember know? your first concert? Uh, the one that I botched, yeah. 
and uh, no, 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 no. I mean, oh, <laughs> thank you for reminding me you, of that. You as moment. an observer, as a <laughs> like a moment of I want to do that. Like your first concert, my very first concert. No, I remember my very first Broadway show. It was The Wiz, and it was Stephanie Mills. Okay, and by the time she got to be a lion, I was a puddle. She was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. I couldn't believe all of this sound and all of this talent as a dancer, as an actress, was coming out of this little tiny person. And I looked at my grandmother and I was like, that's what I want to do that. I want to do that. And to quite frankly, you know, over the years, some of your idols become your friends mm-hmm. and your colleagues, which to me just kind of really blows my mind. The fact that when I met Gladys Knight and Lena Horne, they knew my name. Right. You know, Lena, Lena, I just stood there crying. I, and people, there, there's pictures right. of she her. Was, on, was she on the show when you were on the show? I remember when she was on the show. She she did a guest spot, but I met her a few years, years before, before she okay. got to do it. It was at the opening night of Fences, and everybody was crowding her, wanting to take her, her picture, wanting an autograph. And I stood there, like, waiting my turn, like, frozen. And she looked and said, everybody, okay, wait, stop, excuse me, excuse me, you, come here. <laughs> and I walked over to her, and she grabbed me by the face and said, baby, you on that show, aren't you? I said, weirdest feeling show, ever. and she says that show. She says y'all are doing such a beautiful thing. Your name is Dawn, right? And wow. tears just started coming down my face. And she said, "You keep doing what you are doing. I'm so proud of you." And I could, I really couldn't even speak. And uh, fortunately, somebody got a photo of us standing there with this like huge grin on my face. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's crazy because you never think that they know you're alive or anything. Or why would why, she? Yeah, but it's like you people, her people like her, just inspired me to do what it is I do now. And when you get to know them and learn what they survived through and what they over over overcame and what mattered to them and how they used their voice and they did it with grace and with power and with determination. It really, I could not have asked for better examples like her and Gladys, who's like my auntie now, and Natalie Cole and Nancy Wilson and and Stevie as well, and um, to teach you how to do this thing with with grace and with appreciation because it could really take you in a whole other space if you're not careful. You start to think it's all about you. Welcome back to the Sugar Steve Show. (laughs) (laughs) So, Steve, when you first met me... did you go back to New York after you graduated? Yeah, you know, it was my habit that going back and going, like I said, I was bullied a lot in elementary school. And my teachers were just such blessings and encouragement mm-hmm. to me uh, that when I graduated from elementary school, and I got to give a shout out to Barbara Ames and Karen Fogler, mm-hmm. two of the most amazing teachers anyone could ever have. They still come to everything I do today. To, to this day, wow. since elementary school, since first grade. Wow. And um, Barbara Ames was actually one of the teachers. Barbara and Karen were teachers of Lin-Manuel Miranda as well. And he credits both of them as well oh, okay. as depositing into his life to inspire him to do what he does. So mm-hmm. all of you teachers out there, mad love, mad love, mad love. I know, you know, situations are tense or can be tense in schools these these days, but I so appreciate you. Much love for all that you do for inspiring and uh, educating us and caring for us beyond, beyond. So anyway, so when I graduated and went to junior high, I would come back to elementary school 
just to visit them and say hi. I would do Christmas concerts in the faculty lounge. And then I would talk to the kids and say, I used to sit right there in this class and don't be a bully. And if anything happens to you, tell your teacher because they really want to help. And they go, okay, okay. What's junior high school like? Okay, great. Then I went to high school and would go back to my junior high in elementary school. And this became my habit. When I went to college, I came back. That was my habit. Then after college, now I'm releasing records. I'm doing shows off and on Broadway. Then I book a TV show. Now I'm in California. So when I get an opportunity, I come back home. And so is my habit. I went back to my school. I went back to music and art. The difference was I used to do it because it made me feel good and stay connected and grounded. This time I walked in the lobby of the school. It's like, oh, my God, it's Julissa. (laughs) And kids came from everywhere and they swarmed me in the lobby. They had to get security and the police to escort me to the principal's office. Then they made an announcement. We need you to please get out of the hallways. Go back to your class. Miss Lewis will come and see you, but you need to go back to your classes. So they had an extended day of school. That day, and I literally went to every single class and answered questions because in a place like music and art, I'm living the dream that everybody in that school has. So that's what made a mental shift for me that uh, I actually had something to offer, that it wasn't just about me, but that I could hopefully answer some questions and be a support or an encouragement to somebody else. See, you've achieved something that I just recently got to get a taste of because early in my career, like, they would have me come and speak to schools or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I would get, like, questions like, uh, you over there, yeah, uh, so do you know, like, real famous people? Do, <laughs> do you know Andre 3000? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I did. Do you know Erica Badu? Yeah, I produced her first record. You did what? And literally, so... It's like, ah, kids are so cruel. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. Until until my school, well, first of all, I had to raise money for them. Like, I gave them a whole grip. I raised money for them. Okay. And then, like, they threw, like, me and Tarika, you know, a Roots Day or whatever. And then I felt, like, semi-validated, like, oh, welcome back. But it came at a price. But uh, I always... That whole, like, go back to school and speak to the students. Yes. They love you. And, like, kids, like, no. Nah, they just want to know if I know Little Wayne. Hilarious. Like, all the questions are. <laughs> Hilarious. Well, I just got reconnected with a group of U of M students recently, literally recently, as yesterday. Uh-huh. Uh, on Monday, the U of M, there's the seniors from the drama department were up here doing a performance, a showcase you know, for, I guess, casting directors and et cetera, because they're about to go into the world and want to do this professionally. Mm -hmm. So I got uh, invited to go to the showcase. So I went and I've gone back to the U a couple of times over the years and done master classes and things like like that. So I went and saw it. So I was asking while they were in New York if they were going to go see any shows. And they said, well, you know, we're going to try. But I learned ultimately that the kids had to buy their own tickets for whatever Broadway show they wanted to see. And we all know these tickets are not inexpensive. They are not. So um, I got together with our company manager. And since I got into this motivational empowerment thing, I've been doing it now for, what, 40 years, when I learned it was called motivational speaking. Mm -hmm. Uh, But about four years ago, I started my own nonprofit organization, the A New Day Foundation. Mm -hmm. 
So a new day, a dawn, new day, dawn. See, ta da, ta da, ta da. <laughs> I see what you did there. Ta da, ta da. I actually brought materials for you. Thank you. So that, so that you I need motivational see. speaking. There you go. <laughs> so that's what our found foundation does. We do programs all year round for uh, teen boys, teen girls. Sometimes we do events with them together. Uh, annually, we have a financial literacy and technology conference. Mm-hmm. That's about a whole day, seven hours long. We give out scholarships and new computers. Well, what we did on behalf of the foundation this time was was uh, we bought tickets for all of the seniors to come and see Tina yesterday. Nice. So they came and saw Tina, and then after the show, I met with them, and we had kind of a talk back for about an hour and a half where I was telling them about the journey and answering questions, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, Incident, by the way, that that was probably one of the best surprises I had. I mean, I was taking my mother to see Tina just for, like, Christmas. Yes. But I didn't bother to even, like, Look at the playbill to see if there's anybody I knew or whatnot, right. and you came out, and it was such a slow like. Wait a minute! <laughs> <laughs> like it was, it was a great thing to see you Thank on you. stage doing that. Very much. Wow, man! I want I want to get to your professional career, but okay. I know that you know you made music in New York before you yes. started acting, and I know that you've had to interact it with. I I want to know what eighties. What pounding the pavement? Play the theme already. <laughs> no. She was there. I, no, 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 no. I'm not asking about Latin quarter. It's pastor time. Okay. So <laughs> but I'm saying that what was pursuing a music career in the first half of the '80s in New York like? You know what? It was it was tricky. It was real tricky. Um, you know, we have the Me Too movement and all that stuff going right. on now, and you hear all kinds of things. Yeah, I know. I'm so afraid you that it? you found that. Yeah, you bastard. <laughs> you have. Where did you find it? I have my I have my resources. Okay. Yeah, he's what, he's, he's what, the government. What we are referring to is Bill has in his hot little hands uh, a copy of my very first single, and it's an LP. And it was on Dalmatian Records, an independent record label, and the song was called Funky Thang, T-H-A-N-G. Right. Did you name Funky it? Or yeah, I wrote you... it. And no, no, no. I don't mean Funky Thing. I'm talking about Dalmatian Records. No, that was the name of the right record label. Um, I was actually... Okay. Oh, gosh. So you got to get down with it. Come on now. Y'all know nothing about this. And first name basis. Just Dawn. Just yeah. Dawn. Come on. D-A-W-N-N. Recognize. D-A-W-N-N. Two N. I know, but I like to say double N. Common would mess that up already. Come on. So who produced this? Two guys. Um... Kenny and Charlie, Charlie Ernst. Okay. Kenny Pollock and Charlie Ernst. Kenny I went to college with. And the story behind this is that uh, we were called in to play for a jazz violinist. It was his session. And he was having trouble setting up his his violin, EQing it, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So Kenny and Charlie just went into this groove and they just started playing. And I just started singing. All of that, every single word was freestyle. Oh, wow. It was just me singing. So yeah, mere seconds to off. record. We were just singing. I was just singing. 
making up lyrics as I was flowing, and there we went. And when the when the violinist was finally ready, the engineer said, before we start, I want y'all to come in here in the booth. And we're like, okay. He said, I want you to listen to something. And he pushed play. And that was what you heard. And we were like, what? And we were in the studio. Yeah, that's fly. That's funky. That's funky. And uh, he signed me right there. Wow. So we went back and then actually recorded that never happened. <laughs> You're like the walking uh, personification <laughs> of stepping out on faith. It was well, praise like, God. It was it was great, and it was so much fun. It was. I mean, I was just saying. I didn't know what I was saying. We were just going. The How music, old were you at that point? This was eighty four, so I was what twenty twenty three. Yeah. So were you pursuing a, a recording deal artist? Or? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would do the rounds with with my demo tapes. And uh, performing at different um, showcases, like for Capitol Records and CBS, et cetera. And um, charted this song, charted on Billboard at 20, Mr. Nelson, Nelson George. Yeah. At Billboard magazine, we came in at 20. There was another song that I did called From the Bottom Up. Okay. And I was a little, I was a little feisty young lady. And uh, you were not going to find it because I tried to find it. Yeah, I texted I my brother. <laughs> I texted already, my brother because my Steve. brother played bass on it. Right. And I was like, dude, do you have a copy of that song? And he hasn't responded. So I know I do. Bill's going to find it. But it's it's back on my com- computer and in my DAT collection. He'll hack in, in, trust me. In, <laughs> Bill will have so, it next week. But from the bottom up, I sang at the Apollo for amateur night. And one amateur night. That weekend had to come back the next week as a special special guest for Amateur Night. And From the Bottom Up was another song I sang when uh, Shalimar right. was looking for someone to replace Jody Watley. And they had a competition at Leviticus. And I was an office temp in the World Trade Center at the time. And I heard it on WBLS that right. they were having a competition at Leviticus. So I called my job. I said, you're going to have to get a temp for the temp because I ain't coming today. <laughs> and they knew what I wanted to aspire to. And they said, Dawn, go, go on and get them. Go and do, do your best. So I went and we were at Leviticus. I had my cassette, my little track in my hand, played it from the bottom up. And uh, I sang that. And ultimately, long story short, that was when I met Howard Hewitt and Mickey Free. Right. And we have been friends ever since. I won for New York. It was like an early version of Star Search. So women from all around the country, from L.A., Chicago, Atlanta, we all met in L.A. at Circus Circus. And right. we had the competition there. And we performed and Delisa Davies Delivis, yeah, Delisa. was noted as the winner right. and the audience went wild like no New York New York New York so Dick like Griffey Dick Griffey says okay no no calm down calm down we're gonna start Wait, a new you have to girl say his group. name again Dick Griffey oh I'm sorry One why? why wait where's my noise <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I meant Dick Griffey Anyway, uh-uh, no. <laughs> oh, trust me, <laughs> no. the stories we've heard, that we we, no. have, we can do a whole Dick Griffey <laughs> compilation. And that was sold our records. So they yeah. said, no, we're going to start a new girl group with the girl from New York, the girl from Texas, and the girl from, I want to say, Chicago. Right. And um, later we learned, so we was like, that's all right, I got my own deal. I don't have to be part of someone else's deal. Right. And we so we started calling the label Crickets, Crickets. That's when you learned that it was just a publicity stunt uh, and they were never going to do it. So, yeah, no, that was what I wanted to do, um, was be a recording artist or star on Broadway, all of that. So TV was the one thing I was not pursuing. During that time period, 
I know this is the time for like Leroy Burgess or Kashif or yep. Kashif is any a good friend. Yes. Kashif was a friend. Luther, I got 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 to know. I knew everybody in his band. I wanted to be a Luther girl so bad. Really? Uh, Brenda White, who would always sing the bottom, right. um, was taking a leave for, I, I forget what the reason was, but she's like, Dawn, Luther loves you. They're having auditions. You should come and audition. So it was me. <laughs> Brenda was there. Lisa Fisher. Paulette was there. And Luther was there. And so we're singing, and I knew all the choreography. Stop, stop to love, don't go on the road. So man, I was crushing it. And then it was done. Luther came, put his arm around me and said, baby, you know I love you, right? I said, yeah. He said, but I need a little more finesse and a little less soul train. I was like, oh! Mortified, mortified. And a month later, I booked a different world. So I was like, bye. <laughs> bye. Luther girl, bye. And but no, but then once I booked the show, he says, you know you owe me money, right? I said, why? He said, because if I had hired you, you wouldn't have been able to do that do- show. So thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> so, so he's cool people. So a different world. Yes. How does this wind up in your lap? Uh, I don't know that it wound up in my lap or I chased it down. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I, the, I was doing the national tour of a Broadway show called The Tap Dance Kid mm-hmm. with one of my idols, Harold Nicholas of the Nicholas, Nicholas Brothers, Brothers yeah. and Dulé Hill, who was 10 at the time, right. who's now grown to be this incredible man and talented so actor. So Dulé was in Alfonso's role? He was, yes. He was our after? our kid. Okay. Yes. Well, Alfonso was on Broadway. Sevian stayed in New York on Broadway. Dulé came with us out on the road. So there was Dulé a whole little, tap? Dulé's an, he never he's, told me that. He's an amazing, amazing, amazing <laughs> tap, tap dancer. All right, Dulé, he really is. You on this. He really is. He's a phenomenal tap okay. dancer. So we were all tapping, singing, dancing. So I had a principal role in that show. Well, the people who cast that show, it was called Hughes Moss Casting. Julie also Hughes cast, and Barry Moss. There you go. Yeah. There you go. They also cast the Cosby Show. So while we were on the road, I heard they were going to be doing a spinoff of the Cosby Show. Mm-hmm. So I started calling the office to ask if I could audition. And uh, they were like, no, we want everyone to be Lisa's age. I said, well, everybody can't be a freshman. Somebody's got to be a sophomore right. or a junior. And we're only just at like two, three years apart okay. in age. Um, so begging, begging, begging. Okay, the tour ends. I'm still begging. And they say, no, Dawn, no. So I begged for like three months. Like, okay, fine. And now that we're off the road, I'm sending out my headshot and resumes. Okay, I've been doing a Broadway show, this show, that. I should be able to get an agent. Crickets. No one returned a call. No, nothing, nothing, nothing. Out of the blue one day, Hughes Moss calls me back and says, okay, are you still interested in auditioning? Can you come in tomorrow? I say, yeah, absolutely. An hour after they call me, the musical director for The Cosby Show. Stu? Stu Gardner. Yeah. He calls me and says, I got, got your number off of this cassette. It was one of my demo tapes of my singing and songwriting that a friend of mine, Robin Downs, had given him like a year before. Mm-hmm. So he says, would you be interested in working with me on the theme song for this new show? And I said, uh, okay, yeah, sure. What is it? So he told me this is what the totally concept unconnected. is. Totally unconnected. Okay. He said, this is, um, this is the concept of the show. Lisa Bonet is going off to college. We want the song to say something along the lines of, you know, experiencing life. The show is called Stepping Up to Step Out. That was the original title? That was the original title. Okay. And we're going to, this was on a Wednesday, and we're going to be in the studio on Friday recording it. I said, okay, so do you want to meet tomorrow, you know, to hear what I come up with? He says, no, if you're the person that wrote these things and if you're singing, you can do what I need done. So I'll see you Friday. Okay. So now I thought people were messing with me. No, I did. (laughs) I thought my friends were messing with me at, at this point. So I called Hughes Moss back and said, did you just call me? 
They said, yes, is there a problem? Can you? I said, no, 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 I'll be there. And sure enough, a couple of hours later, a messenger came to my door with a cassette of this is the music that we're thinking of, of, of using. Go, right. So I was tripping to say the least. So I'm thinking, okay, this, this is big. This is really big. And one of the classes I had to take as a musical theater degree major was this business of music. It was that big, thick textbook. Yeah. And it was written by Bill Feynman and Andy Krasilovsky. I remember that book. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So I'm like, okay, I need, a, I need somebody to help me with this. So, again, just out of college. So I opened the book and not- noticed that they had an office here in New York. So I got the Yellow Pages. Yellow Pages. <laughs> what yellow is pages, that? Throwback. Pages. <laughs> so I got the Yellow Pages, they still make looked those? them up. I, yes, and they get delivered to the house, and you go, why are you sending me this? <laughs> so I look them up. I call them, and I say, hi, you don't know me, but I just got this amazing opportunity placed in my lap, and I'm sure I'm supposed to be doing something that I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Do you have paralegals? Do you have free legal service because I don't have any money? And they said, well, please come into our office tomorrow, and we'll talk about it. It's okay. So I went to my audition. They said, thank you for coming. Goodbye. Okay. So I leave and I go to the lawyer's office and I explain to them what happened. They say, okay, we will be happy to help you. I said, okay, no, stop. You missed the part where I said, I don't have any money. I, I, need, I can't afford you guys. They said, no, we're very impressed that you want to do this and do it the right way. So we are offering to help you free of charge. All we want to see is you be protected. And when the opportunity comes, you'll be willing to help somebody else. I sat in their office and I cried. Wow. I'm so, crying now. I know. <laughs> so they negotiated my whole contract. Uh, they negotiated that I get 50% writer's royalties, which was unheard of for me as basically an unknown writer. Right. At the time, 50% royalties and screen credit. So when we were negotiating, when they were negotiating with Carsey Warner, that's when we learned that, well, Mr. Gardner has a deal with Mr. Cosby, that Mr. Cosby gets 50% of whatever he does. And my lawyer said, that, well, that's fine. Mr. Cosby can have 50% of Mr. Gardner's 50%, but Dawn gets 50%. And This never happens. And they signed off on NBC it. got a whole new thing going <laughs> yes, on right, right now in right 2020. Now. I can imagine. Ah. So I went in the studio the next day. I record the song. The song had a rap. In the middle of it, I was flowing, I was singing, I was doing all the background vocals, etc. Oh, it wasn't the back porch bluesy? No, mm -mm. No, that arrangement came later. Okay, okay. But the song, the lyrics, the melody, everything stayed. And the show was still called No Stepping Up Up to Step Out. Stepping Up to Step Out was the original title. Right. right. So then uh, I get a call on Monday. No, I get a call on Friday while I'm in the studio that they want me to have a call back for this role on mm-hmm. Monday. So I'm like, okay. I mean, they were so dismissive in the audition. I wasn't expecting to ever hear from them again. Right. So I go in Monday and I kid you not, I'm the only person in the room I did not recognize. Joie Lee was in the room. People I've seen in magazines. Right. People size two with light skin and green eyes and long hair and, and me. And I'm looking around the room. Okay. I know her, 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 her. And, okay. Oh, no. So right. it's like, you know, and you count yourself out mentally. But I was like, well, I'm here. And they called me to come back. So I'm just going to go and do my thing. And wherever it falls, that's where it falls. So I went in. I did my thing again. And they said, okay, thank you very much for coming back. I said, 
no problem. So I left and went to dance class, and I danced out for like another five hours. I came out of the dance studio. Someone screams my name from across the street. We have been looking for you all afternoon. Where's your agent? And I'm thinking, no one ever called me back. I never. I don't have an agent. Right. You have to fly to L.A. on Wednesday to meet with the um, studio, etc. I was like, I, 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 I. so okay. So I called a friend who called a friend who has an agent that said she would negotiate my contract, and all I have to do is pay her a salary. I had to. I just pay her a salary. She doesn't get commission. She doesn't get any of that because she didn't do my deal. So I paid her. She negotiated my contract. It was a suck sucky contract, but at least I had one. Right. And I got on a plane, never flown first class before. It was Pan Am. Oh. Flew first class. Did you class. smoke cigarettes in first <laughs> no, class? No, I didn't. <laughs> but I had a menu and a tablecloth and food and appetizers. It's like, this is the bomb. <laughs> so I flew to L.A. They put me up in like one of those top suites at the Sheridan Universal that had like almost a panoramic view Still of the valley. Still there. I'm like, what is this life that I am? What is happening right now? So I went to the audition the car came and got me took me to the studio and uh, there were these young ladies there waiting to be seen so it was three of us and they're sitting there talking well this is my seventh callback and my agent told me that by, by this time they have to offer it to me and I know they're calling in some girlfriend from New York and they're, they're not, I know she thinks she all of that and I'm the only one sitting there I'm saying wow they y'all tried to flim flam you they were like trying to get in my head they were not nice so that's real this is real I see it portrayed on television yes it was not nice These but they try ladies, to get in your oh, head oh they and... try to get in my head and it's like wow wow you know I'm sitting right here you know okay fine whatever Whatever. So I go into to the room, and the producer's like, "How was the flight? Are you okay? Da-da-da-da-da. Did you see your contracts?" Da-da-da-da. And uh, so, fine, fine. So I'm walking out after reading the sides, and I'm leaving. And the girls are sitting there, and the young lady that walks me out says, "Okay, the car is downstairs waiting for you. Your contracts are there. Everything should be in order. Just sign the paperwork, and the car will be back to pick you up this afternoon." Okay, Miss 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 Lewis. All right, you good? You need anything else? No, no, no. I'm fine. I'm fine. And the girls are sitting there like. Oh. <laughs> so I looked over to them and said, "Good luck," and left. And left. And then that afternoon, this car comes and gets me. I now go to the studio. So now the room is full of people who decide whether or not you get hired. And if do you remember the actress Vernay Watson Johnson? Yes. Okay. Vernay was also auditioning to play the dorm mother. So Vernay saw me sitting there, like rolling my sides up in my hand, and I'm nervous. I'm like, I'm going to say the lines. And then one of the exec producers comes out and says, Take your hair out of your face. I was like, Okay, so I pulled it back out of my face, and Brene says, are you okay? I said, I'm just, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. She says, come with me. She took me in the hallway. She had me breathe and relax, and she said, if you want, I'll run lines with you. Come on, just let's, let's go on. And she sat there and ran lines with me until I cooled out and chilled out, and then I went in the room. I did my thing, and I came out, and I hugged her. And she and I have been friends ever since. When both of us booked the pilot, she let me stay at her house until I found an apartment. She's one of the most beautiful. I will never, I'm telling you, lessons like that and opportunities teach you to be a decent human being. So, Renee, God bless you. I love you forever. So they flew back to New York, and they, Hughes Moss calls me and said, Mr. Cosby uh, is the last interview that you have, and uh, so we want you to book this job. So come into our office tomorrow morning, and we're going to put you in the right outfit, and then, then we're going to go. And that was when the Cosby Show was shooting in Brooklyn, like mm-hmm. not even 15 minutes from my house. So I stayed up all night trying to put 
outfits together and got on the subway mm-hmm. from last stop in Flatbush right, right. to Midtown on 46, wherever their office was, with this huge bundle of clothes that I carried on the subway. Okay, so I walk into their office and they go, perfect. What you're wearing is perfect. I was like, for real? Really? Really? Really right now? Really? So then I had to take my big bundle of clothes. They, we got into a car and drove back to Brooklyn. To Brooklyn. <laughs> Near your crib. Near my crib to go and meet with Mr. Cosby. So we're sitting in his dressing room. He's on the phone at his table over there. And um, myself and Tom Warner, Marcy Carsey, um, and the Hughes Moss, Julie Hughes, and Barry are sitting there. And so he waddles over. He had a chair that had wheels. He waddles over. And um, so I'm ready. I got my sides. I'm, I was nervous. Rolling. So I'm going to read for Mr. Cox. Okay, all right. All right, I'm going I'm to do this audition. And they said, well, Bill, before we get started, what did you think of the song? Now, mind you, this is all within the same week and a half. I forgot about the song. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Bill, what did you think of the song? Oh, I love the song. The song is perfect, and the girl's voice is the oh, that's perfect. She's gonna be amazing. The words are perfect. Everything is perfect. And I sat there like, and I raised, I literally raised my hand. I kid you not. And they said, yes. What? I said, I just want to say thank you for the song. I'm glad you like the song. I said, I what are you talking about? I said, I'm I'm the girl. I'm the one who wrote it. I'm the one you listening to sing it. And they look at me like. What? And Bill just started laughing. <laughs> he just started laughing. And uh they were like, he says, Wait, stop. That's you singing? I said, Yeah, that's that's Stu and I did that last Friday. And this was like Wednesday or Thursday of the of the next the next right. week. And um he's like, All right, okay. And then they started talking about what they're gonna do to my hair. You see the way she's dressed right now? That's perfect. I love that. We're gonna do this to her hair and this and that. So I'm sitting at like ten minutes goes by. And I raised my hand again. They said, yes, what? I said, does this mean I have a job? <laughs> <laughs> Finally. Finally. Does this mean I have a job? And they said, yes. So uh, they said, could just wait in the hallway for a minute. I'm like, what is happening right now? What is happening? So Mr. Warner comes out, and I'm in the hallway, like, leaned up against the wall. My eyes are big. And I, you know how you scream and nothing comes out your mouth? Yeah. And he says, do you need anything? I said, well, can I use your phone? Please, I have to call, call my, my mom. Mama. I got to call my mom. <laughs> so he took me into his office and sat me down. That was when you had to push nine to get an outside line. Oh, you remember that shit? <laughs> yes. So I, he let me call Don't my dial mom. Don't long distance. Oh, remember, the, what was it, the Watts lines, when you yes. had the little code to dial long distance for free, whatever? Yes. So I said, well, before you go, this I don't want to be crazy sound or anything, but would you pray with me? And he said, I'd be happy to. So we prayed together in his office, gave God thanks, and he left. He said, just whatever you need, take as long as you want. So I called my mom. My mom was an OR technician, which means she assisted surgeons in the operating room. So I called and said, well, your mom is in surgery. I said, you have to get her out now. You have to. (laughs) I have to speak to her right now. So my mom comes to the phone thinking I'm like bleeding or dying somewhere. And she says, what is it? What is it? I said, Ma, I got the job. She says, "Uh, what? She's like, girl, I'm going to kill you. What? <laughs> I was like, I said, Ma, I got the um, job. I went to, she says, wait, wait, with, with Mr. Crosby. She could never say Cosby. With Mr. Crosby. I said, yes. She's all, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Oh, Father. Oh, yes, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord of mercy. Oh, yes. Thank you. Oh, Didi. She called me Didi. Didi. Oh, yeah. Oh, thank you, Father. And neither one of us were any good after that. We were just crying on the phone, and it was it was it was great. And two days later, I was back on a plane in L.A. shooting a pilot. Wow! Wait, so you had to move in forty eight hours? No, we shot to shoot the the pilot. 
Oh, okay. So I was there. So we for still like don't two know weeks. if this pilot we still is going to make it's it, gonna get picked wink, up or, or whatever. And at that point, after shooting the pilot and seeing the female influence, and them deciding that since it wasn't my show, it was too much to have me sing the theme song. Right. You know, you can't write it, sing it, and be, it's a somebody right. else's show. Okay, fine. They had Al Green come in and sing it and that was when they we flipped the name to a different world so I rewrote uh, just that line instead of stepping up to step out it was it's you know it's a different, different, world. Diff, different world so you had the coach Al Green I did what was that like because for was me amazing. it was amazing no it was amazing I couldn't believe it I absolutely could not believe that I was like no no Al it goes like this <laughs> Oh, and he was open and receptive. He was open and receptive. Not so much. No, nah, he was open and receptive. <laughs> and that was where I met Rochelle Farrell oh. and Lynn Fidmont. So singing backgrounds on that version, it was me, Rochelle, and Lynn. They singing changed the music by then or Well, yes. It had more of that like honky tonk feel to the so it was closer to what Phoebe ended up releasing. Okay. So once it became clear this was really female driven, they took out Al's vocal and Phoebe came in Aww. and recorded. I wasn't in that what set was session. Like? Oh, you didn't Oh man. I wasn't in that set because I was I was filming by then. Phoebe's a hero. She was doing man. double dutch. Yeah, I was doing double <laughs> dutch. There you go. Because we did that in Brooklyn too. Oh, uh, that was shot in Brooklyn? No, 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 no. That oh, was shot oh, in El Segundo. Oh, okay. I'm yeah, just saying, they, <laughs> no, they, they didn't believe I knew how to jump double. I said, if you find somebody who can really turn, I can, I can throw, throw down. So I said, not only will I throw down, I'm going to do it in pumps. <laughs> Y'all ain't ready. That's right. Y'all ain't, did, ready. Yeah. Y'all ain't ready. Y'all ain't ready. Y'all ain't ready. Y'all ain't ready. Is there, a ver- is, is there a version of the Al Green version around? I have it. That, I have the stepping that, up right? to step out. Yes, I have the stepping up to step out. We're, we're your new best friends I've right now. The, <laughs> I have the Al Green version, and I wasn't there when Aretha did it. So their their concept was like the Cosby Show kind of revamped their music. The intro, every, right. They were going to revamp it every season, but once Aretha sang it, they Aretha were like, yeah, nah, we're good. We're, 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 we're yeah, that's such a frozen moment where yeah. I was waiting for the honky tonk thing and yes, it's like, wait, what the hell is this? Yes, and oh man, and this is without a VCR back then, so yes, I had to wait seven days to record it next week. To and then the final season, Boys to Men, read, 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 yeah, right, yeah. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
Chumba. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Shooting that show. Of course, with, with the level where the Cosby show was, I mean, did you feel that you were doing something important or historical that was going to touch a bunch of kids' lives that... You know, when... when I can only speak for myself. When we started the show, uh, like any actor, young actor, you're happy to have a job. Mm-hmm. And you know the quality of the show that you're coming off of because The Cosby Show was just such a high-quality show and so many people, regardless of what nationality you were or age group you were, you had an... You had a, a special place in, in your heart for that show. So we knew some of that was going to be coming over. As far as legacy building and changing lives and influencing generations, no, I didn't. No, I knew that our first season was typical sitcom, and that was because of the person that was the showrunner. Who was the – yeah, who directed it? And Well, we and... had different directors first C season, but our executive producer was Ann, Ann Beats. Okay, yeah. And who had come off of Square Pegs and um, et cetera. So we were How, how different we were was it for her doing, to... There was no difference because we basically did Square Peg scripts. But did you feel like, I don't know, this will fly with... H- we, were, we thought it was ridiculous. Really? We thought the scripts were ridiculous. And literally, I'm very serious, we did revamped... Square Pegs scripts. Like when we first started working, the show was myself, Jasmine, myself, Lisa, and Marissa uh-huh. Tomei. When the new management came in, that was when the Whitley Gilbert character was added, the Dwayne Wayne character. Because they're not in the pilot. The, well, they, we reshot the pilot, right? Okay. They weren't in the pilot, but we reshot stuff so that they would be they included, included. Okay. from the beginning. Because he's the first person you see, right? On the very, Well, the pilot was like, in the, it was the, the season finale. The pilot was in 86. No, we shot at the pilot in 85. Yeah, but like, 80, it was eventually sorry, aired. Sorry, 80, 80, 86. But it was eventually aired as the finale of the first season, right? Because No, it was eventually aired as the first episode. It was? Uh-huh. Hmm. It was okay. eventually aired as the first episode. I remember the pilot where Dwayne talks to the camera fourth wall like yeah but there was another episode that that came before that because like Vernay is in it as the dorm correct director. um and whitley and whitley and Dwayne they, were, they weren't yeah. they, they weren't there not oh okay so so, it was so you remember better than i do yeah okay um so that's what we were doing and miss miss beats brought in those other characters so we reshot stuff to in include them once for when the show actually began airing. Was there panic in the air once you realized that Lisa wasn't going to come back for season two? Like, Not How comfortable really. do you have to be before you're like, this job is real? Uh, let me be... You know, I never get not that so tight with my money. No, I'm I'm because I had already been working for so long. Right. Shows start, shows end. Nothing is forever. So, you know, different people, you buy cars, you buy houses. Like, I ain't buying nothing because they could tell us tomorrow. And the way they fire folk around here, if if Lisa can go, guess what? They can let you go, too. Right. You know what I mean? You We would come to work some days and not know who was going to be at work. But It was but, like that. But by this point, you could probably afford your own marbles, right? Yes. <laughs> but... but but I was so far Shut past up, marbles Steve. by then. <laughs> I was so past marbles by then. Yes, yes. So, yes. I mean, but is 
That was hilarious. You didn't. Like, you didn't have. What is there a moment where it's sort of like, okay, uh, I made it, or you're still like, is the guilt no, is, is the finger on the guillotine every, button? Yes. Be, I'm telling you. Never a comfort um, moment? T- I wouldn't say not comfort. You knew you had a job and you were, if you were wise, you would be aware that this could change at any moment. So you go to work and you do your gig. And I watched the show go from featuring three people to featuring 14 people in just four years. You know, all these other characters got Get added. Introduced you know, from you know the, to from Cree's character to Sean Chanel's character. You know, everybody. All these people kept getting added, and they were every storyline was pretty much focused on Dwayne Wayne and Whitley. So you add more people, that means there's less and less for everyone else to to do. So that was when I started digging deeper into okay, what else am I going to do? And that was how I ended up working with Quincy Jones. And the Handel's Messiah, Soulful Celebration. Okay. That was how I won the Grammy in writing and producing for other people and doing my own stuff. Um, I got into animation. You know, I know Korea is known a lot for animation, but I've been doing animation yeah, you're as well. Okay. Yeah. So right now, I think I do like six, seven different series now. How hard is it to navigate in that world? Because voiceover. Yeah. Um, it it really depends. You. The directors and studios like to work with who they know can deliver. So once you're in the circle, you work a bit more and people just request you directly. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a little harder to break into, but it's not impossible, especially because there are so many projects available now. Uh, When I first started, my first animated series was produced by Suzanne DePass. Wow. Suzanne DePass. What project? It was Kid and Play. They're a cartoon. Kid and play cart cartoon. I played the she was younger the sister. Uh huh. I didn't know that. I was the younger sister on the show, and I did. I that. remember that. There you go. Oh god. I was the okay. younger sister on that show, and then Suzanne got the opportunity to produce a Christmas special with with boys to men doing guest spot voices uh, called Cool Like That. So I did voices for that, and I played a seven year old boy in that that show. And again, this was all freelance, didn't have an agent. So I would get called to do things here and there because I was the new voice in in town. I was on a TV show. People knew who I was. Mm -hmm. I was able to create different characters with my voice of different ages and male or female. And uh, so I finally decided uh, to get an agent. And that was when I got an agent. And they allowed me to freelance as well. I assume the term that can deliver means that you can knock it out. Well, you knock it out and you understand what what they're asking you to do. And because you're not on camera, you have to be able to sell and convince something just with your with your voice. So you have to turn into a seven year old, turn into a seven year old boy. And yeah, and it has to be believable when when you listen back to it. So since then, um, you know. So what is your range like as far as your I know Cree has a range of. She could sound like a freakazoid or, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. like. I do all of that. I do video games, Mortal Kombat. Um, I've done, yeah, Storm and the X, X-Men. I do lots of different video games. I do um, Simpsons. Simpsons calls me in to do all kinds of extraneous voices for like the last three years. I recorded Simpsons last week. I have another one next week. I do the series Apple and Onion uh, where I play Patty, the meat, the meat Patty boss. Uh, Star Trek CBS is coming out with with a new animated series, Star Trek Lower Decks. I'm the captain 
on Star Trek Lower Decks. Damn, Dawn Lewis, on we a... hardly knew you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really not going to ask you about cramps now. No, no, no. I also do Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego for Netflix. I'm the voice of the Chief, and we just released our interactive series games. I do the voice of the Chief in that. Um, don't forget Futurama now. Futurama. Yeah, I'm La Barbara in Futurama. Right. Yeah. I'm Granny McStuffins and Doc Mixed Mick McStuffins. And uh, who is the voice of actual uh, of Doc McStuffins? To be honest with you, I don't know. I honestly don't know the young lady's name because usually when I get called in the studio, it's just me. And uh, you meet people, you, uh-huh. you don't meet people. So I, I apologize. I was for stuck that. in an elevator with her once, and when I told, I'd never heard of a Doc McStuffins in my life. Okay. So when I got out the elevator to go to the airport, one of my managers, she's like, I mean, even though she's of age, she's eternally 13 years old. Okay. So I casually said that, yeah, I, I was in the elevator with uh, whoever plays Doc McStuffins, and she like, Zara like lost her mind. Like, yeah, they do. A lot of people do. Yeah, it's 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 a trip. Uh, shows like Spirit, shows like Sophia the First. Um, another one I did way back in the day was Sea Bear and Jamal with Tone Tone Loke. Yeah, I think I did like three or four voices in that show. I played the grandmother uh, who kind of almost didn't have any teeth in her in her mouth, and uh, it was just so much fun. And the and the kids' teacher Miss Fine. Uh, another one where uh, the little bear wanted to get a job. I was an old, old Jewish man mm-hmm. in the factory where he worked. So, uh, no, we had a lot, lot of Maybe fun. I know him. What's his name? What's his name? <laughs> <laughs> his name was Heinze. <laughs> Bingo, you're wasting too much time. Time is money. Work, work. Faster, faster. <laughs> to hear it, doors have never closed on you or always oh, sure open for do. you. sure they do. I wouldn't say I gotta always ask, open. Yes. I got to ask, has one role ever gotten away that like either to, a, to another commitment or something that you had a chance to go for that you weren't able to? Yeah, I wanted to do Tina Turner and What's Love Got to Do With It. And they got some what? unknown chick named Angela Bassett to do it. <laughs> Those and, uh, ah, she was all right. I ain't never heard of her. <laughs> she was phenomenal. A name like Angela Bassett, she'll never go anywhere. She'll never go. I mean, she's she's just the coolest people. One of my dear friends. And, uh, you know, yeah. I got it. Well, speaking of which, let me let me lead it to this, where, where you are now at the, the, the Tina Turner um, play. The... Sort of the 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 quasi volatile relationship between her mother mm-hmm. and her in that play mm-hmm. was that that was intense. I, is she executive producer of the play? Like, is she a part of the production? Miss Turner. Yes. 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 Okay. She's I didn't been know involved if it was with sort it of... from the from the beginning. She handpicked all of the songs that are in the show. All of the songs are songs that she recorded at one time or another. Um, the way that they're placed in the show is not necessarily chronological order right, of yeah. when they were released, but they're they're placed strategically to help tell the story. Only know? only ask because this was way more intense than mm-hmm. the what's love got to do with it. At least the relationship, yes. yes, between the two. And I wanted to know. Well, it goes into a bit more detail of the life. You know, some people you know think that if you've seen that movie, then then you've seen the you've whole seen story, it all, right? Right, but that's that's not the case at all and in playing Zelma her mother her mother's name is Zelma Bullock her name was originally Anna Mae Bullock before it got changed to Tina Tina Turner right. it was important to me to come and do this particular role just because it was so real for me 
in my my life because that was the life that I lived. I watched. I was raised in a house with domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom had to get out in order to save herself and put herself in a better position to save us. Right. Um, my dad uh, was a policeman. He was head of the Department of Homicide in Brooklyn when I was small. Right. And so when my mom would go to report the violence, the cops would basically tell her oh, that you no. know, well, if you would just do what he told you, he wouldn't have to hit you kind of a thing. Well, that's yeah. a domestic situation. Yeah. We don't get involved in that. Yeah, exactly. Jesus so, Christ. So my mom left us, and we ended up being taken by my grandmother that I mentioned right. for a cup, couple of years until my mom was able to come back and get us. So that was how we went from bed to Park Slope back to bed when my mom came back and got us. Um Fortunately, my dad learned to make better choices mm-hmm. in his in his life, and uh, I'm grateful for that. Especially, you know, before he passed passed, passed away, right. so we were able to, you know, heal certain yeah. things. But again, uh, my relationship with my my mom, uh, her mom, like Zelma tells Tina at one point, you need to go back to him because who do you think he helped make you? And right. what my mom was told was, who do you think is going to take you with four kids? What person's going to want you? Even though understanding what that violent situation right. was. So it was a very different time. Mm-hmm. Uh, people didn't get divorced. You knew that there were other kids somewhere across town or other girlfriends or whatever, and, but you dealt with it. Right. So people like Zelma, like my mother, like my grandmother, uh, who were strong enough to love themselves enough to make a different choice, especially during that time, I just have nothing but love for. It's not a popular choice. And looking at it by today's standards, you can judge and point fingers, well, I would never leave my kids. And yeah, It was a very different time. And until you're in that position, I know some people who really should leave. Right. You know, uh, domestic violence shouldn't be tolerated, whether it's male to female or female to male, because there's some violent women out there with, you know, men being really physically and emotionally damaged in these relationships so you know you can't help up your kids unless you save yourself and that was what happened in our family so in my portrayal of Zelma it was important to me that you see her as a human being who had to make different choices you may or may not agree with them their relationship was always very complicated and damaged Um, uh, but hopefully you can see a human being there and both of them Unfortunately, you sometimes repeat generational realities because in order to become the Tina Turner that we knew, she ended up having to leave her kids to -hmm. basically be raised by, you know, her sister and her mother and, you know, in order for her to be who she is. But it ultimately is a story of not just surviving, but thriving. You know what I mean? In spite of. So uh, I'm really honored to be very intense portrayal. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. much. I brought you a gift, actually. Thank you. You brought me a gift. I'm rolling a scroll. I'm unrolling a scroll. This was something that I made for the entire company for an opening night gift. So it is a Playbill version of the You made this for your cast? I made this for the cast. You're so professional, man. And uh, so this is the entire company. On good paper. Each one of us. (laughs) And uh, so, yeah, so that's that's the creative team. Yes. That's uh, the Bullock family. Tina, that's our director. That's me. That's young, the little girl that plays anime Bullock. That's the young woman that was playing uh, uh, the older version of our daughter, Ali. Right, yeah. Um, she's she's not there anymore. This is the woman, Myra Mar- Lucretia Taylor, who plays Gigi, the grandmother. That's David Jennings, who plays Richard Bullock. Right. Um, and then those are the guys. 
in the ensemble, and that's everybody. Well, we thank you for this. You're I welcome. will cherish this. You will, he says, did you notice that? I will cherish this. This is... <laughs> I will cheer. <laughs> Yo, this is really on good paper. This paper's like leather. <laughs> is that velvet? Yeah, this is, is like that velvet. That's beautiful. So I, I would like to think that at least hearing the narrative and sort of the the linear motion that your life has taken, you stepping out in confidence and not saying that everything was done without you being nervous or I can't do this, but. I kind of feel like the the common denominator is like everything that you've attempted to attempted to do you did without a second thought or a voice in your head that says you can't do this and right you know so what but from you doing that at an early age till even now still working mm-hmm. where no one has this narrative that I've heard and I've been doing this show for three years now, practically. Like, what is that? Because I, I feel like that's what's it. I th- I feel like you have a, a confidence or stepping out on faith in terms of just doors open for you. You know, yes and and no. Yes, doors open. When I saw you uh, at Mr. Bet Belafonte's birthday mm-hmm. celebration, and you told me that you wanted me to be on your show. That just really blessed my spirit because you don't know who sees you. You don't know who cares. You know who you pursue in life, and they either respond or you don't. You're like me trying to chase down an agent for months and nobody being willing to call back. There are still people that I try to approach now that you would hope would be supportive or encouraging mm-hmm. who are not necessarily because they have other people to answer to, the politics, the, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Like, yeah, and I'm going to say it. I want to come and do Jimmy Fallon. Mm-hmm. I want to do the show. I right. want to do the view. I want to do all these things. Right. Um, and for whatever reason, it will or won't happen, you know. But um, those are shows that I did back in the day when I was on Hang With Mr. Cooper or right. some other TV show. Right. But now that I'm here in New York, you know, my own home hometown, you know, I'm on Broadway, big stage, doing good work with great people. You want to do things, and as you know, in our in our business, the next gig is almost predicated on the previous gig. Right. Okay. Like, what did what did you do? How did you maximize it? Did anybody care? Et cetera, et cetera. And then that's how the next gig happens. And things like staying relevant, staying present, staying marketable are what makes those kinds of things happen. So you do the best to do your best to do that. So I just want to tell you how much I appreciate being here and, um, you know— I had no idea that my journey meant even what it means to you. But um, for us to be able to sit here and and talk about it and exchange some of the things that we even have in common. Skellies. I mean, Skelly. who knew? Who knew? Who knew? That's it. You know what I'm Steve, saying? We are taking and you to marbles. a Skelly tournament. Yes. You know what I'm saying? All those kinds of things matter. And it it sometimes gets frustrating when the journey feels stifled. Right. But uh, like you said, you, I'm I'm walking on faith. Because I was told at seven that where I was pursuing was going to take me on a downward spiral that was going to be my spiritual demise, my physical demise, all of that. And God has proven me that that is just not true, that that's just not his journey for me. So any step I want to take, if I feel empowered and if I feel like, okay, he's given me everything I need to succeed here, then I'm going to give it a shot and let it be someone else's choice to say, no, she's too tall. Because I'm as tall as, I'm, as I am. I'm as brown as I am. I'm as whatever as I am. 
But uh, if I believe I have something to offer, then that's what I'm going to do. I wish Laie was here to <laughs> add ad libs. Yeah, Laie, she. We should tell Laie was very upset that she couldn't be here today. She yes. really, really wanted to. I was looking forward to meeting her. She's been very kind. Well, we thank you very much for doing this. this you've, don't got to, you, you've got to come back and tell us some Latin horror stories. You guys, yeah, so. <laughs> there's always stories. There's plenty, plenty stories know, and tales know. to tell. <laughs> so on behalf of uh, Boss Bill and uh, Sugar Steve, uh, Laia Fontickolo and Umbe Bill, uh, thank you, Don Lewis, for uh, being here today. And we will see you on the next go-round of Quest Love Supreme. I love it, love it. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.